from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. God, indeed, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is in our midst. Uh, not just as we worship, but even as we are sent out into the world. And so in that confidence, I'd invite you to prepare your hearts and your minds for the worship of God. call to worship. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad this day for life, for breath, and for freedom of worship. Blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. We come to offer our gifts of praise and gratitude to the God of creation. Friends, let us worship our Lord.
Please turn in your pew Bibles to Acts 2, verse 14, and continuing at verse 36, which is found in, on page 111 in the New Testament. Listen to God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Friends, our second scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and then 17 through 23. It's a bit long, so I invite you to turn to page 218 in your pew Bibles in the New Testament, or simply close your eyes and listen to God's word for you and for me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than God, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your salvation, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us pray. Holy God, we ask that your holy word be the word that rises above all the rest of the words that we hear this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One summer during seminary, I served as a hospital chaplain. Now there are stories upon stories from that experience, and if you take the bait, I'll share some of them later. Now um, among those stories, I remember a revelation, a revelation about suffering, resurrection, and identity. So in addition to visiting patients, attending lectures, and occasionally writing and sharing about some of those experiences, twice each week, my fellow chaplain interns and I would gather in a circle, in a circle in which we would process some of what we had experienced that week. Maybe we needed to discuss something about a patient. Maybe we needed to discuss something about ourselves, or maybe it was a little bit of both. Because maybe our patient's story brought up something within our own stories we needed to address. Regardless, we were free to, to share or not share. And sometimes I loved this feelings time, and other times I really didn't. Yet one time in particular, I remember that my peers, as we sat in this circle, we were really struggling to find God, really struggling to find God amidst the suffering that we were witnessing in that hospital day in and day out. And then it hit me, it suddenly dawned on me, and so I grabbed a dry erase marker and went to the dry erase board right behind our little circle of trust and wrote three sentences. The first, because Jesus suffered, Jesus rose. The second, Jesus suffered, but Jesus rose. And the third, Jesus suffered and Jesus rose. I then looked at my peers and shared that I thought that we could all agree that that first sentence, because Jesus suffered, Jesus rose. 
that that wasn't right, that that set up an unhealthy dynamic within our relationships with Jesus, ourselves, and each other. Because if we overemphasize suffering and not resurrection, then we might be tempted to glorify suffering. And then I move to the second sentence. Jesus suffered, but Jesus rose. Now, there's another imbalance, right? There's an imbalance because suddenly we're rushing to the resurrection rather than sitting in the suffering. Yet that third sentence, Jesus suffered and Jesus rose, seemed more like it. Because we suffer and we rise. Our suffering is in conjunction with our resurrection. They don't negate each other, they coexist. Friends, the danger of a text like ours today is that if we focus on suffering and sacrifice, we might focus on those things to an unhealthy degree. We can focus on the price Christ pays for our sins and assume that in order to be faithful, we must suffer too. That if Christ suffers, we must suffer. And that can create a slippery slope of salvation that revolves around our actions and our suffering rather than Christ's actions on our behalf. Now that doesn't mean our lives are free of pain. Lord knows we suffer. Just in this room, we can lift up all kinds of pain. Maybe we're in the middle of a breakup or a really painful divorce. Maybe we're searching for employment and we're really tired of waiting. Maybe we keep taking pregnancy test after pregnancy test, hoping that this will be the time that God answers our prayers. Maybe we're stuck in a job or a relationship that's unhealthy, but we're scared to leave. Maybe we're experiencing physical or emotional pain that's excruciating. Maybe we recently lost a parent or a grandparent and we're hurting. Maybe we're suffering from addiction and we don't know where to turn. Maybe we're exhausted from the prolonged commute or a broken refrigerator or a broken relationship that isn't easily repaired. Maybe we're plagued with thoughts of not being enough when we are. We are enough because Christ makes us enough. Maybe we suffer, but we suffer in silence because it's all too tempting to appear as if we have it all together, because maybe that's how others appear. But if we forgo our masks and share our suffering with each other, we reveal what it means to be human. And that, friends, that's why we're here. Our text today comes from a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to exiles. 
to those displaced in various Christian communities scattered all around primarily the northern area of Asia Minor. So being exiles, Peter was writing to those who were suffering. But like a letter that you and I might write or you and I might receive, reading part of a letter isn't always helpful. A letter is part of a whole. It's part of a larger conversation amongst the reader, writer, and God. Like most conversations, one conversation doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's part of a larger conversation that shapes the identity not only of this letter, but the identities of those who receive it, be they direct recipients or not. You might have gathered when I read our second text that part of the larger conversation in Peter's letter today comes in six verses that are omitted from our passage. You might recall that we left off at verse 9 and then picked up again at verse 17. But verses 10 through 16 are equally valid, equally relevant to this larger conversation. Both our texts from Acts and 1 Peter come from the lectionary. And as many of you know, the lectionary provides a guide, provides a guide for preachers to preach certain texts every Sunday, if they so choose. But without these six verses, without tending to the larger conversation, we might miss Peter's point. So after essentially Peter writes that although we suffer, we joyfully receive salvation by God's grace through our faith. He continues in verse 10 with this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry inquiring about the person or time that the spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the things that have been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, and that word provides another clue, prepare your minds for action or rejoice in this. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Friends, without these verses, we might think our call is to suffer as Christ suffers. We might glorify suffering rather than glorify God, and we might miss our call not to suffer, but to be holy, 
to be holy as God is holy, for our holiness comes from God's holiness. God's holiness flows into our holiness and we rejoice, for holiness is as central to our passage as our faith. And just like these verses lie within the heart of our passage, holiness comes from within. Holiness isn't earned, it's created. Holiness is born. Holiness is born not by what we do, but who we are. That's how the Holy Spirit births new things in and through us. Holiness isn't about what we do to show we're good Christians, because holiness isn't about our actions. It's about God's actions within us. That's how we're born anew. But birth is messy. Sometimes birth involves letting go of something so that something else can be revealed. Sometimes birth involves death so that something can be reborn. So something holy can be born again and again and again within us and amongst us as a community of faith. Friends, death and resurrection are central to Christ's experience, and death and resurrection are central to our identity as Christ's disciples. And the thread that ties all this together is holiness, the holiness of God's being that calls us into being holy. Christ suffers and we suffer, but we rejoice because Christ paid the price for our sins on the cross. God made us good, but we turned away from God and it's our instinct to turn away from God that's our sin. Yet God calls us back into God's holy, loving arms like children yearning for milk and honey. Long for the pure spiritual milk Peter later writes, so that you may grow into salvation. Friends, that's how we grow into the people God called us to be, by remembering we are standing on holy ground and we are called by God to be holy. Despite our suffering and not on account of our acts of service, but because we are born anew by God's grace through our faith. We are born anew by God's word, by scripture, and by God's word made flesh in Jesus Christ. That is why we rejoice. We rejoice in the resurrection as we live into hope, as we live into a hope that's alive and never dies, a hope that endures despite all obstacles, despite our suffering, and despite our doubt. For though we have not seen him, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For like new life that grows within us, the Holy Spirit births a living hope through a living word that dwells within and amongst us. Friends, let that be the word that inspires our words and our actions. Let that be the word in which we root our identities so that it grows good things within us, makes us holy, 
and births us anew. Amen. Friends, the heart of our call is holiness, and God births us anew by healing our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits by a holy and blessed promise. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let that good and holy word live inside you this day and every day. Amen. <laughs>